This is The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, The Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Good morning. It is Bill Ballinger. This is the political insider in Michigan politics. And speaking of inside politics, what about bipartisan wheeling dealing in the state capitol? I've got a great article here written by a top reporter in Lansing, Kyle Malin, who is the editor of uh, the Michigan Information Research Service. He wrote a great article in the Lansing Pulse uh, just this past week, and it's so good because it really gives you a sense of what's going on in the state capitol in the wheeling and dealing in the legislature there. And I want to just read it. Here it is right now. It's about a very obscure topic, and yet it's extremely important. Uh, here it is, and I'm quoting. The headline from the Lansing Regional Chamber press release looks innocuous enough. Coleman Road Extension receives state funding. But the $7.6 million that Governor Rick Snyder and state lawmakers snuck into last year's budget at the last minute to relieve pressure on dreadfully congested Lake Lansing Road by Eastwood Town Center was anything but pedestrian. For Southern Clinton County and Northern Ingham County, to receive a special carve-out to extend Coleman Road across Highway 127 to Wood Road, this is on the north side of Lansing, took a marked piece of legislative deal-making persistence and, yes, some politics. First of all, the Michigan state budget isn't like the pork-stuffed federal budget with its mythical $37 screws, $640 $640 toilet seats and a $7,622 coffee maker. Michigan is constitutionally required to balance its budget every year. Isn't that a novel thought? Which means legislators don't have much appetite to slide special projects into the $56 billion state document. This year, legislative leaders divvied up $52 million in legislative pork for the entire state. Now, for perspective, it's like making $56,000 a year and having $52 a year in fund money. That is less than 1% of the state budget. It's 0.09% of the state budget. Unlike Congress, lawmakers are extremely judicious about who got what. This year's 78 projects were, almost without exception, for districts represented by outgoing term-limited Senate leadership and first-term Republican senators and House members running for re-election in competitive seats. The Lansing area does not fall into either category, yet nobody else in the state got $7. million for a special project. In fact, no other single project received half of what Coleman Road did. The Coleman Road money was an anomaly in both dollar amount 
and in geographic locations. So how did it happen? The simple answer must be that House Speaker Tom Leonard, who is a Republican from DeWitt in southern Clinton County, worked some magic, right? The Coleman Road extension is in his house district. He must have made it rain for his hometown folks, right? Wrong. Leonard, behind the scenes, wanted nothing to do with the money. He's a very conservative attorney general candidate, and he needs support from traditionally conservative, no-fat-in-the-budget Republican delegates. Leonard prides himself on passing slim state budgets, and he wasn't altering his reputation two months before a Republican convention that would determine his political fate. So instead, Leonard's longtime friend, Representative Tom Barrett, a Republican from Potterville in neighboring Eaton County, stepped in front of Leonard to get his name attached to the project on the House side. Now, the 24th state Senate candidate, this is Barrett, is looking to score points among Clinton County officials because they have wanted Coleman Road extended for at least 10 years as an economic development draw. And Clinton County is in that 24th state Senate district that Barrett is running in. Now, there's also the current state senator from that area who is term limited, and that is Rick Jones, a Republican of Grand Ledge. During his 14 years in the legislature, Jones has taken the lead on dozens of public policy initiatives, but he doesn't dabble much in appropriations. Now, Clinton County commissioners, the people who serve on the board of commissioners in Clinton County, They have hailed Jones for his assistance on another matter and returned to Jones with one final request before he leaves office, Coleman Road. So Jones asked the House Appropriations Committee leader. The answer was no. The state's roads, particularly in Macomb County and Monroe counties to the east and south and much bigger counties, are terrible. How can a $7.6 million special development project in Clinton County be justified? Jones is many things, and persistent is one of them. He tried numerous political angles to soften up his leadership to allow the money to go through until he got them to maybe. So a final push was needed, which brings us to the final piece of the story. House Minority Leader Sam Singh, who is a Democrat from East Lansing, and also Governor Rick Snyder. Last year, the governor was heavily courting Foxconn Technology Group from Taiwan and saw a proposed business tax incentive package known as Good Jobs as a critical component. Leonard and House Republican leadership, leery of special tax carve-outs, was pushing back. Governor Snyder needed House Democratic support, and he went to Singh, who saw a negotiating opportunity. Singh agreed to support good jobs and urge his caucus to do likewise if Snyder did something for him. And guess what that was? Coleman Road. 
Singh knows the headache of driving Lake Lansing Road to Eastwood, and he convinced the governor that there's regional economic benefit of another east-west corridor over U.S. 127. Now fast forward to last month when the governor and legislative leaders carved up the $50 million special projects pie. Snyder's folks dedicated three-quarters of his $10 million allocation to fulfill his promise to sing. So, yes, a Coleman Road bridge is being built over U.S. 127 soon, but it took a bipartisan bridge to make it happen, unquote. So, folks, this is how it happens in the state capitol from time to time, particularly on appropriations bills, uh, a lot of politics, a lot of wheeling and dealing, uh, takes bipartisan support. You may read and hear all these nasty press releases from legislative leaders, Democrat and Republican, against each other. But uh, when it gets right down to it, behind the scenes, they may be working quietly together to make a few things happen. By the way, if you want to comment on this article or anything on this program, remember my email is bill at moretalknow.com or you can go to bill at thebalancerreport.com or the Friday morning podcast. So we're going to be back in a minute. We're going to go through some legislative primary races with somebody who really knows what's going on. Thank you. Listening to the Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. Okay, I'm back as promised, and I have with me a special guest this morning who really knows what's going on out in the hinterlands in the various legislative districts around the state where there are going to be very important primary elections on August 7th. My guest is Brian Began who is the Director of Elections and Research for Grassroots Midwest. Brian, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. Brian, why don't we start by just tell people exactly what is Grassroots Midwest. Well, uh, Grassroots Midwest is a political consulting firm. It's the first and only bipartisan uh, consulting firm in the state of Michigan. Uh, aside from working with uh, political clients running for campaigns, we also work with nonprofits and other business interests and helping them, conv- you know, get their message out and, you know, influence the political process. So, uh, we're, we're a full-stop shop. Sounds impressive. Okay, let's get started. State Senate, I'm just going to pick out some races here in districts around the state that are considered to be marginal or swing. Uh, Many of them are open because of term limits. The incumbent uh, has to leave office at the end of this year because of term limits. Uh, And these seats are open, uh, meaning that uh, there's no incumbent. And in many of them, there are important primaries on one side, Democrat or Republican or the other. Uh, In some cases, there may not be any real primaries. The big action may come in November. But let's start out with the 7th District, which is down in northwestern and western Wayne County, if I'm not mistaken. That is uh, 
Mr. Colbeck, um, who is term limited, a state senator running for governor for the Republican nomination. That seat is open. Brian, what's going on down there? Well, uh, right now it's uh, State Representative Laura Cox is the only Republican candidate, you know, in that race. And there is a, a primary on the Democratic side, but recently uh, one of the candidates, Golem Kadir, uh, some issues of domestic abuse, uh, assaulting his wife, has come out and he's been uh, pushed out. So at this point, um, it looks like Dana Polhanke is the other Dem person that is likely to move on into November on that side. But at least on the Republican side, it's 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 locked right now that it's going to be Laura Cox. Now, isn't that a marginally Republican district? I mean, Laura Cox would be considered the favorite probably in November. Oh yeah, it's um, what uh, it's probably about plus four Republican. It's a you know, it's a, it's a small margin, but I think with the Cox name and the influence there, it's hard to see, like, you know, anyone really trying to push too hard. Uh, the Dems might, um, again, it's nominally Republican at this point. Uh, Trump was just under 50% there. So I'm sure they will try, but with Laura Cox, I have a hard time seeing them pass. But if, say, Laura Cox were to become the lieutenant governor nominee and you had to find a new Republican candidate, well, then, you know, anything goes at that point. Yeah, and you mentioned Cox is a fairly prominent name. Her husband is Mike Cox, who is the former attorney general, right? Right. Okay, let's go to the Upper Peninsula. We have got the 38th District, which is a huge swath of territory. It's like the western two-thirds of the Upper Peninsula, and Tom Casperson uh, is term-limited, uh, Republican from Escanaba. Uh, I think you got a primary on the Republican side up there. What do you think is going to happen? Well, that's an interesting primary because you have former state rep Ed McBroom, who served uh, three terms in the House, and uh, there's a builder named Mike Carey. Um, and Mike Carey is actually considered more the conservative candidate because I believe the Freedom Fund and a few others have endorsed Kerry over McBroom recently. And I know that Kerry has been doing a lot of work in raising money. So you hear noise that, you know, he may come out on top to face Scott DeAnda in the general. And Scott DeAnda is the Democrat who's from Houghton. He's an incumbent uh, term limited state representative. He's going to be the Democratic nominee. Yes, uh, he is running unopposed. Um, so, yeah, he will be the Dem, Dem nominee in that race. What does it look like in November at this point? I know it's hard to say. You don't know whether Kerry yep. or McBroom's going to win the Republican primary. This is a seat, by the way, that for decades was a Democratic bastion, and then Casperson won it in 2010 and was reelected in 2014. Can the Republicans yeah. hold on to this? I believe so, because just at least in the trends that I've looked at over like the last 12 years, the UP, the UP has significantly become more Republican because of the way, like, the Republican-Democrat vote has shifted from area, it's, yeah, going back to, like, early 2000s, 2012, there was a lot of, you know, lean-dem counties um, and so forth up there. But now it's really Marquette is your main sort of dem hub, and Gogebic even less so, because where they were, like, a very dark blue, you know, 12 years ago, they're more of a light blue, whereas... You know, others that were blue have shifted kind of more purple, but a lot of areas have become more red, which is generally consistent with pretty much everything north of Clare is where the Republican vote has shifted. And you look at the way Donald Trump did in the UP, too, getting like 
60% or so, um, I have that number right in front of me. Yeah, Donald Trump, yeah, getting close to 60% in the UP in that Senate district um, definitely favors a Republican. And that's why DeAnda tries and, like, at least models himself as a little bit more moderate conservative type because that's just the way the UP has been trending over the last several years. Right. Okay, let's go to the 31st district. That's uh, way down uh, Bay City, curves around, slices out a piece of the thumb like Lapeer and Tuscola counties. Um, That is an open seat because Mike Green, the incumbent, is term limited, and you've got a, uh, I think, Republican uh, primary between a current state rep and a former state rep there. What's going on? Um, That's correct, yes. You have... uh State Rep. Gary Glenn, um, who has represented Midland and uh, part of Bay for the last four years, uh, moved into Bay and is running uh, for state senate against Kevin Daly, who challenged Mike Green four years ago. And that's going to be a fairly competitive primary on that end, uh, whereas, you know, Glenn is is running as the more conservative candidate. Uh, Unfortunately, Gary's had some health problems lately. And I don't know if he's at 100%, but he definitely does have a strong brand um, throughout the area. So that's going to be tough to see who comes out on top. Though, um, And I'm not even sure the Dems' preferred candidate, who, or at least what the original preferred, uh, the Bay County clerk, Cynthia Luchak, it might necessarily win her primary. But again, just the general trend of that part of the state, I think regardless whether it be Daly or uh, Glenn, has a very good shot of winning in November. Okay, what about the 34th district? This is way over on Lake Michigan where Jeff Hansen is term limited. Um, That's open, and you've got a real (laughs) Donnybrook between three either current or former legislators, right? Yes. Um, On the Republican side, you have current state rep Holly Hughes, this is probably her fifth straight campaign, and uh, former state rep John Bumstead. Um, whereas how, uh, Representative Hughes has been through, again, five very tough campaigns, very experienced uh, campaigner, and has a large set of funds, um, and you know has a large base in Muskegon County where about two-thirds of your vote is going to come from. And John Bumstead, who is you know, running a spirited campaign on his own, I just don't know if he has the money or the ID really to compete with what Holly Hughes has been able to build up in the last decade. Okay, we're going to take another little break here, but we'll come right back. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We're back with Brian Began, an expert on what's going on in these legislative races around the state. We were talking about the 34th Senate District. We talked about the Republican primary. What about the Democrats? They've actually got maybe a primary there too, right? Uh, Yes. Um, At the last minute, uh, the Dem, you know, leadership establishment went and got former state rep Colleen Lamonte as, you know, who they thought would be their strongest standard bearer. However, there's a lot of pushback out there because uh, Poppy C.S. Hernandez, the more progressive candidate, had been out there for close to a year and, and has been out working her from everything that I've heard on the ground. 
So that may not necessarily go the way they thought or have the candidate they presumed. So, you know, that could be, you know, something really interesting to watch for on primary night. Does it matter in November which candidate on either side, Hughes or Bumstead for the Republicans, uh, Lamonte or Poppy on the Democratic side wins the primary in terms of who might win in November? I think uh, Republicans are fairly well set uh, regardless. Um, again, it's a competitive seat, and I think it would help to have someone like Holly Hughes who has the experience and understands what it's like because I think that's where it's been a challenge for people who are running for the Senate coming from safe house seats. They just don't understand how labor-intensive it is. So I think you get that advantage, whereas um, – and you get some of the competitive – understanding from Lamonte, but again, I don't really know Cia Hernandez's positions, but she might be far on the Bernie side, which will do well in parts of the city of Muskegon, but I don't know if it's someone you could expand into the northern areas of Oceana and Nuego that's going to have that broader appeal of where a Democrat would need to break into the Republican base in order to, you know, take the seat, you know, the seat the Democrats have been going for for as long as I can remember. Let's go next door to the 35th Senate district. Now this is a district that should be Republican. So there's not much question that whoever wins the Republican primary on August 7th is going to be the next Senator from this area. But this is the district where there are three either current or former, um, state representatives running. I misspoke a few minutes ago when I said it was in uh, the Hanson 34th district. It isn't. It's the 35th. What's going on in the 35th? Well, it's a wild contest because it started off as just Ray Franz, the former state rep uh, from northwest side of the district, and uh, Bruce Rendon, a former state rep on the east side. But where things got different all of a sudden is that Kurt Vanderwall, who had, you know, just won to replace Ray Franz, decided to throw his hat into the ring. Now, and this is, you know, adds to the interest because uh, Vanderwall is a current state legislator. He's going to be way up on the fundraising side. Uh, and what hurts him, too, is that he's coming from the same base area as Ray Franz. Whereas you have Rendon, who has another built-in advantage, because even though he's been out of office for two years, his wife took his place in the House, so that you still have the Rendon name working there. Um, so there's a variety of factors going on, and I think it's too early to really say who's going to win, win this seat. Yeah, by the way, this is a huge district. I mean, it's something like a dozen counties. It goes all the way on the east from Ogemaw, Roscommon, Crawford, Kalkaska, Masaki, Osceola. Then we go to Wexford where Cadillac is, Lake County, uh, Mason, Manistee, Benzie, and Leelanau. I mean, this is a monster. Oh, yeah. It's like a dozen counties or so. And <laughs> that's what makes it even tougher because, and I think this is where, especially in Senate races, where money becomes more of a factor because doors is just, logistically a lot tougher to do because you have a small few villages there and ultimately how you're going to get your messaging out is advertising on the radio or doing mail just because getting out you know to every door you know all 200 and 
40 some thousand people is just impossible. Exactly. Let's go to the 29th district, which is uh, southeastern Kent County, I believe, maybe a chunk of Grand Rapids. Uh, that's yeah. Dave Hildenbrand is term limited. What's going on there? Um, well, those are pretty much that race is set. It covers you know the entire city of Grand Rapids and some of the outlying suburbs to the east. Um, you have Chris Amphandoulis, who is a nominal primary against you know just some random person that's unlikely to win, and Winnie Brinks on the Democratic side. Um, that race, and is Winnie Brinks be, is a state representative too. Yes, yeah. he's also a state representative, and that race will be decided in November. So the primary is just a formality for each, and then the real race doesn't happen until November. Okay, what about the 19th district? That's Barry County, and more importantly, Calhoun County, which includes Battle Creek. Um, and you've got a Republican primary there. This is to succeed incumbent Republican Mike Knopf, who is term limited. Uh, yes, um, and I, I need to disclose to your uh, listeners that I am working with Mike Calton, who is one of the challengers in that seat against John Bison, who is also a state representative. Um, Bison is, you know, is a current state representative. Calton's a former state rep, and you know they're both out there. Uh, working as hard as they can. Um, Colton has done a lot more on the male side. Um, and then, you know, because they have their own sort of areas that they represented that equals about the same amount of the district, too. So they're out there um, and just trying to cut into each other's territory. So, you know, it's a close race and it's, you know, going to go down to the wire on August uh, 7th. Yeah, let me just uh, riffle through a few other districts. I'll just give you the numbers. You pick out anyone you want to talk about and say anything. There's a 13th district where Marty Nolenberg's the incumbent Republican. He actually is running for re-election. He's not term limited. Uh, he's got a Democratic challenger. You've got the 10th district where Tory Rocca, uh, Republican, is term limited. Uh, that's open. You've got... Dave Robertson in the 14th district, which is uh, southeastern Genesee County, northern Oakland. He's term limited. Uh, and you got Phil Pavlov uh, in the 25th district, Republican. Uh, that's over in the uh, kind of northern Macomb, uh, southern Thumb area, the 25th district. Uh, are any of those worth mentioning for any reason? Um, most, well, the 13th with Nolenberg, I think it'll be a more interesting discussion come November. Um, but for the primary, no. And then, you know, in the 25th and the 14th, you have Dan Lowers running on a pose in the 25th and current Secretary of State Ruth Johnson running in the 14th. So uh, those are decided. Um, the, the 10th, um, what's interesting on the primary there is that Henry Yanez will be the Democratic nominee. He's a and state rep now. Yeah, he's a state rep, and this is probably the one of the maybe the number one seat I think will likely flip to Democrats. However, and that's going to depend on this primary because uh, the Republicans are mo are getting behind Michael McDonald, who is a late entry, because the three other candidates are just sort of, you know, not high quality candidates. And against any of them, Yanez would, you know, just walk away with it. So, you know, it, it all breaks down to whether or not Michael McDonald, you know, is a good candidate and, you know, has the full support. So I, and that's the thing to watch for there, because if the wrong candidate comes out of that one, well, it's something that 
you can easily cross off right right away. Uh, you mentioned Ruth Johnson running in the uh, 14th district. That's Southern Genesee, Northern Oakland to succeed Dave Robertson, who's term limited. I mean, that is really unusual for a secretary of state who's been elected twice statewide to decide, okay, I'm term limited for secretary of state. I'm going to continue my political career by going to the Senate. She was once a state rep before she became Oakland County clerk and then secretary of state. But that's really pretty unusual, isn't it, for a statewide official to do something like that? Yeah, I don't think anything's been like that since John Adams went from president to (laughs) congressman. But I guess uh, that's term limits for you. Exactly. Because, you know, term limits is basically musical chairs. Right. We're going to take another little break here, but we'll be right back. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. Okay, we're back again with Brian Began, who is Director of Elections and Research for Grassroots Midwest, an expert on legislative races around the state. I've been quizzing him ruthlessly on these districts, and he's done a tremendous job so far. We've got only about nine minutes left here, but we're going to talk about a few House races. What about the 71st House District, which is basically Eaton County or almost all of Eaton County, just west of Lansing, where you've got Tom Barrett um, giving up his seat to run for state senator, and you've got primaries on the Republican and Democratic side there. And this is a marginal seat that either party could probably win in November. Uh, Yes, and, you know, it's a seat that I'm very familiar with. Um, I worked on Tom Barrett's two previous campaigns and actually working with Chuck Cascarilla now. And this is like one of those critical seats for Dems if they have any chance of regaining the majority have to win. And, you know, this is a race that can be dictated by the primary because, again, if you get the wrong candidate, can really hinder your ability going forward, you know, just in terms of fundraising and reaching out to voters. Um, you know, saying this as an honest opinion, not just as a biased opinion, but Chuck Cascarillo is the guy on the Republican side. Um, some of the other candidates have a lot of stuff that could be brought up and would make it tougher for Republicans, and Democrats are highly behind Angela Whitworth as their choice. There is a progressive option out there, which, as history shows, you know, could, you know, surpass. But, again, I think both parties are banking out, are hoping, or would like to see a Cascarilla versus Whitmer, Whitworth matchup, I think, is their two preferred candidates in that side. Okay, what about uh, the 93rd district, which is just north of Lansing? This is the district of Tom Leonard, the Speaker of the House, who is term limited and is running for the nomination for Attorney General at the Republican State Convention in late August. Uh, that district is all of Clinton County, uh, including places like DeWitt, Bass, St. John's. It goes up and takes a big chunk of Gratiot County to the north. It's uh, considered a pretty strongly Republican district. There is a Republican primary. What do you think is going on there? Uh, pretty, 
pretty good idea. That happens to be where I live. So I've seen a lot of uh, mail from uh, Madhu Anderson, who is the wife of Patrick Anderson, the well-known economist in the state. Um, and, you know, I hear, you know, they got lots of workers and, you know, the money is coming in. And I think they're going to, like, outspend all their opponents by a lot. Um, and then you have some other folks. Uh, Ann Hill, who is a former county commissioner, has, you know, been doing doors, the mail, and, you know, a little bit of, and, you know, also some mail from Graham Filler, who's basically been running for the seat for the last six years. Um, so right now, I think name ID is actually pretty even amongst all three. So um, in this coming month, when spending really gets going, I think we're going to really see who's going to, you know, the obvious front runner. But again, even with uh, Tom Leonard six years ago, he only won by 200 votes. So this could be very close. Graham Filler is a, uh, what, assistant uh, prosecuting attorney? Uh, well, yes, he's an assistant attorney general. Uh, he's worked under Bill Schuette for the last, like, seven, eight years. So he's, you know, very politically involved and, you know, has been looking into doing this. So he probably had the earliest organization of all the other candidates. But, again, it's, you know, very hardworking candidates all around. Madhu Anderson is a former deputy treasurer, state treasurer. Yes, and then I believe uh, also deputy director of energy policy, very involved with the Ingler administration and the Snyder administration. Uh, a lot of accomplished background policy-wise, too, that has played very well out on her literature that, you know, she's been mailing out. Let's go up to the Upper Peninsula again, uh, the 108th District. Um, this is Bo Lefebvre, who is a, a freshman Republican who won. I'm not going to call it an upset because he basically uh, won pretty handily, but it was a shocker, I think, to the Democrats. They thought they had this seat in the bag with their candidate, um, the Democratic nominee two years ago, who uh, wasn't he the sheriff? Uh, there, yes. uh, yeah, he was the yeah he was the sheriff in Dickinson County. This is around Escanaba. Uh, so Lafave is running for re-election. Do you think uh, he's a safe bet to win? Um, perhaps just because being the incumbent, um, you know, there might be some things with his record that's you know doesn't necessarily gel. Because if it wasn't for Donald Trump, I don't think we'd be talking about Bo Lafave right now. Um, just because of how popular the sheriff is. Yes, the UP is getting more conservative, especially that district. Um, I think that district in particular has become the more conservative of all the UPC. So I think he probably will win re-election easily. And again, what boosted him up was Trump, because yes, he was significantly lower than Trump, but I think the Republicans are going to hold you know, that UPC for a long time. Okay, let's go over to uh, Oakland County. Uh, Clint Kesto is running uh, for Congress, I think, over there, isn't he? He's the uh, incumbent Republican. Yeah. And uh, so his seat is open. Uh, that is a kind of a dicey seat for Republicans. They've held on to it. Do you think they can again? Is there anything going on in the primary on either side that's significant? Uh, yes, and, and that's one of my uh, critical primaries, too. It's just the way Oakland is going because despite the fact that Oakland's a fairly moderate area, and I think you can say that about West Bloomfield and even into Commerce, just the way distribution uh, population is, 
there is a strong Tea Party presence. Now, there are two Tea Party-type candidates in the race, Kevin Padillon and, I believe, Ryan Berman. But I think the establishment right now is getting behind Marsha Kismata as, like, their preferred choice, um, just because I think she plays well with the whole electorate versus, like, just the primary electorate. And, you know, on the Dem side, they're likely to have, like, uh, Jenny Sudan, I believe, is their candidate. And again, depending on how popular Trump is, particularly in that area, and just how right-wing or moderate someone is, will influence that. So I think so. it is one of those races where, based on the primary, it is absolutely critical that the Republicans get the right candidate through. You know, yeah, you can win with, like, the wrong candidate, but it just makes life so much easier. Right. What about the uh, 70th district, which is Montcalm County, where Rick um, Outman, well, actually, he's been gone for two years. That That's an incumbent running for re-election up there, right? Correct. Yeah, Jim Lauer. And, and Jim shouldn't have any problem, you don't think? No, no problems. Okay. What about um, the uh, 57th district down in Lenaway County, uh, Bronick Colley? Isn't that uh, it? Nope. She has no issues, no primary. Um, a lot of the incumbents on the Republican side, I, you know, I don't see them having any real challenges outside of like Joe Bellino. And um, he seems to be the only like one running for reelection of like their vulnerables from last year that I think is looking at any sort of serious challenge this year. Right. Because of. Yeah, let me mention, Bellino was the only Republican to knock off a Democrat to get elected, right, in, in 2016? Uh, yeah. An I incumbent. Believe. He knocked off yeah. Bill Lavoie, right? Yeah, yeah, two-term incumbent, um, you know, in a district that's, fairly, you know, fairly leans down, too. But, again, that downriver area where you, there was a lot of Trump uh, support, you know, helped, you know, put him up because... Uh, Bellino got 52% of the vote, whereas Trump got close to 60%, which a whole 10% higher than Rick Snyder got, you know, two years prior. Do you so, think, do you think so there could be like some sort of correction yeah. there? Do you think Trump is going to be the factor uh, in November that he was obviously two years ago or not? I think Donald Trump's going to try and make himself the factor because, um, in a lot of these places, too, where you had some of these uh, Republican districts, I think he did kind of boost a lot of people up, and he's still very popular amongst Republicans. So you'll go out there. Um, midterm, you know, his uh, approval rating right now is similar to what Obama's was in 2010. Um, so, again, that could be a negative, too, also. But I, I could just see Trump being out there trying to rally up his base and get, like, this you know, new, a coalition of his to try and, like, turn out and stay active. Because, again, you know, you have a lot of Trump hate out there that's going to be motivated. So I see Trump trying to get involved, too, to, you know, regenerate the Trump love so there's not as much of a correction. Right. Well, listen, we're, we're just about out of time here. I want to thank you so much for being on the program. There's so many more races we could go over. Maybe we can get you back at some point. You did a great job. All right. Well, thank you very much. I, I appreciate being on. Our pleasure entirely. Brian Began, who is director of elections and research for Grassroots Midwest, an expert 
on legislative races around the state. I'm Bill Ballinger. Send us an email, bill at moretalknow.com.